0: This is Attorney Andy Mark and Attorney Mark J. Victor. We are the attorneys for freedom, and you, my friends, are listening to the Peace Radicals podcast. And we are coming at you live from Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. How's it going, Mark?
1: Dude, just enjoying guest after guest today. In uh, it's just been an awesome uh, all-star team. And we've just, had some great guests. Yeah, fantastic.
0: Well, we have yet another <clears throat> wonderful guest. But real quick, before we get into that, Mark, you may give a short summary of what the Live and Let Live movement is all about. And we're limiting your time. Your staff How much is time all, I got? Your staff is all limiting your time. And I'm going to time How you. How much time I got? Um, and the reason why we're limiting your time is because you're doing a breakout session speech in like three hours, and you've already done three podcasts today. So we're trying to just conserve your voice. We got another podcast after this. So you have one minute and 30 seconds. Right, How put about it down that? so I
1: can see. All right, all right. and go. Okay, so Live and Let Live is the new global peace movement. It is based on two rules. Rule number one, don't be an aggressor. No force, no fraud, no coercion. Don't do anything that puts another person at a substantial risk of harm. This rule applies to everybody. We don't care what your situation is. It applies to you. It's mandatory. It applies to all groups, small groups, big groups, corporations, and governments. No, the government doesn't get to violate rule number one. That is our legal principle. Rule number two, and the final rule for Live and Let Live, is the moral principle. You can ignore it if you want, but we're trying to convince you. How about this? Be a good human. Be a good human includes things like be open-minded, be tolerant towards other people, push voluntary kindness, not forced kindness, civility towards other people. It's okay to disagree, let's do it in agreeable ways. Building high levels of trust with other people, a commitment to truth and facts and rational thought and inferences from those truth and facts. And why do we care about this stuff? We care about this stuff because we want to optimize human happiness and well-being while minimizing suffering. That's the Live and Let Live movement, liveandletlive.org. Damn. One minute. How you like that? 23 seconds. He came in early. Dude, nice job. Came in under time. Just saying. Just saying. Probably <laughs> everybody here is very impressive. And he's got the last seven seconds to give his micro summary.
0: Don't be an aggressor. <laughs> All,
1: done. Right, done.
0: All right, let's check out our guest. We got Reeve Coverdale, and he is the host of the Naturalist Capitalist podcast. Reed, welcome to the show, my welcome friend. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, why don't you start by just introducing yourself, telling about what you're up to.
2: Yeah, well, I agree with basically everything you just said, so I think we're going to get along pretty well. No doubt. But uh, the meaning behind the name of my show uh, I I think that every huge problem that we're facing today is the result of people artificially attempting or, or claiming to artificially attempt to fix natural problems. So whether it's a recession, when they pump trillions of dollars into the economy with quantitative easing, claiming to try to lessen the effects of the recession, they make it ten times worse than it would have otherwise been. When we try to get rid of dictators in the Middle East that we don't like and realign them to protect democracy. We make uh, countries more unstable. We create terrorist organizations. With COVID, when we had this idea of trying to stop the spread and contain the disease and force everyone to get vaccinated to make it go away, didn't fix any of the problems. So basically every single problem that we have, Instead of trying to manually fix it, we actually need to back off and let nature run its course. And I actually, I look at capitalism as a force of nature. You know, no matter how many times you try to avert the incoming disaster, when you prop up businesses that deserve to fail, or you try to artificially do away with a recession, you're just gonna make it worse. So I'm very Ayn Randian in the, aspect that I I just think that we need a more hands-off approach to just about everything in society.
0: Let's start with a definitional question here. I want to know what you mean by things that occur naturally, right? The idea here is that we don't want to meddle in things that occur naturally and kind of let them take their course. So you just described lots of different things, right? And some of those things are more, I I guess, easier to wrap my head around as a natural occurrence than others. Like for example, uh, when I think of virus that occurs in nature or something like that. Um, that's very different to me as a natural occurrence than a dictator rising to power in the Middle East and encroaching people's rights in different countries. How do you define something that occurs
1: naturally?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. Um, I mean, I don't think COVID occurred. I, I don't know if I can say that on this show.
1: Absolutely. You can, you can say anything on okay. this show. I don't think... Wuhan, what?
2: Yeah. I, I don't believe COVID occurred naturally either. That's why I said allegedly people claiming that they're trying to fix problems. I think most of these things are under the guise of trying to make things better, but that's not really what's going on. So if there is a dictator rising to power in the Middle East that we don't like, it's almost always for economic reasons that we don't like them or for political reasons, for expanding our global power. And we'll try to say that we're trying to remove them because we care about the human rights of the people in that country, whether it's in Afghanistan or Iraq or now in Ukraine. But that's never the case, the goal behind our desires is usually much more nefarious. It's all about power, it's all about expanding our influence. Uh, But to answer your question, like I think with the economy, there's going to be natural consequences where people are going to fail if they have a business that isn't successful. Um, There's going to be, you know, bumps in the economy. It's not always going to be a smooth ride. And those are things we just need to accept as kind of natural occurrences in this world. Um, And I think You know from an american standpoint when something happens across the world that we don't like we have to just accept that sometimes things are not going to go the way that the american government wants them to go and so we could sort of need to just let that happen and we need to protect our own interests here at home and protect our own people and if you know uh if some uh eastern european country isn't aligning the way we want them to. I don't think we should overthrow their government to align with ours. We should just let things kind of go the way they're going to go and have a hands-off approach.
0: L- let me tr- let me try this hypothetical, just to try to, still trying to wrap my brain around exactly what your message is here, which I think is that you're trying to, you're saying that there's going to be natural. Um, market forces that act on somebody for every decision they make, um, and that whenever we try to overcorrect or force a certain result, that's when we run into problems. So, just as a hypothetical, because you mentioned a business owner, like there right. would be consequences to a business. So, for example, we have a business owner who decides that he doesn't want to trade with Jews. Uh, sorry, Mark. He can't go into his business anymore, and so he posts a big sign on the front that says "No Jews Allowed." And uh, he decides not to trade with Jews. The natural occurrence of that in in June of 2022 in a civilized society is probably going to be people boycott the business. People are upset with that business. People will uh, shame him on social media. He, the market forces naturally will act on him, probably drive him out of business, or make his clientele very, very niche, such that it's not profitable anymore. Uh, whereas the unnatural thing that the government might do is say, hey, take a look at that. We don't agree with that rule. Let's enact legislation or some sort of amendment to the Constitution or something like that to force him to trade, and that's how we'll squash out that problem, and that's where we'll run into problems. Does my hypothetical vibe with what you're
2: saying? Yeah, 100%, and I think you can apply that to foreign policy. If a country is doing something that we don't like, instead of going and bombing them, and you know, overthrowing their rulers or something, we should lead by example and we should let them deal with the natural consequences of whatever dumb decisions they're making in their own country. If they're not giving people the human rights they deserve, people aren't going to be as likely to want to trade with them, to want to travel there anymore. And it's exactly the same on the domestic scale, like you said. Um, I think that people should deal with the repercussions of their actions instead of all of us trying to create some giant force that's going to... Push everybody into acting the way that we want them to do because they usually don't end up acting the way we want them to anyway, and the repercussions of doing that are much worse. I think
1: that we're probably trying to say the same thing, but yeah. we're saying them, we're saying things differently. And I want to try to compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. You, you said just now, if another country is doing something that we don't like, so I want to break down "don't like" a little bit, sure. um, because what I would say is if the "don't like." includes violating rule number one, as I laid it out here, which is aggressing, uh, then we get to do something. If the don't like it does not include violating rule number one, then we don't get to do anything. Would you agree with that?
2: Uh, I don't think so. I mean, if, you know, in Afghanistan, the Taliban does not respect the rights of people who are not male or who do not align with their religion, but I don't think that that is something the United States should get involved in. Fair
1: enough. Let's put a finer tip on it. Let's just say in Afghanistan, the Taliban says, uh, if you're gay, we're going to kill you. If you engage in gay sex or something, we're going to kill you. Okay, they're clearly violating rule number one as to the gay person. There's no question about that. The gay person has every right to defend themselves. There's no question about that. What you are saying, I think, is the United States because the Taliban in this example is not violating rule number one as to the United States, the United States should take no action, and I certainly agree with that. However, as, as somebody who lives in the United States, if I want, I can go over there and help defend uh, the gay guy if I want. No problem there, right?
2: i mean sure yeah
1: i can also send my money over there to help defend the gay guy right sure i can hire somebody and and send that person over there to help the gay guy right sure so we don't i don't think we have any disagreements all you're really saying from what i can see is if the united states is not if nobody is violating rule number one as to the united states the united states should do nothing however i point out there are things that could be done in Afghanistan. Let's just say we change the analysis to Russia mm-hmm. or, uh, or North Korea. There are things that Russia in North Korea uh, can do right now over there that can violate rule number one as to the United States. So if they are, then the United States would be entirely justified in doing something about it. Now, whether they should or not is a different political question and strategic question. Are we, th- are we, are we in agreement and all that?
2: Uh, Maybe. I think that, you know, looking at things from a geopolitical scale, it, it takes a lot of the purely philosophical arguments out because we're already dealing with enormous governments that are already violating rights of individuals in both situations. So the United States violates the rights of lots of people. So does Russia. So does North Korea. So you're already in a messy situation. Yep. But when you're looking at Russia and the way that it's responded to Ukraine, instead of just taking, you know, two or three months out of the picture and trying to analyze what they've done from that, I try to take years, you know, and understand why are they acting the way they would? How would the United States act in their position? And we know how the United States would act in their position because... We've been putting, uh, you know, tons of weapons into Poland and into Ukraine for years. We overthrew the government in Ukraine in 2014 to align with our political goals. This is all. Uh, this was all made more transparent through the Victoria Newland call about, uh, you know, how to replace the government in Ukraine. Uh, but with the Cuban Missile Crisis, we were ready to go to nuclear war over that. Yeah. Um, and it's a very similar situation to, you know, pushing NATO right up to Russia's doorstep and pumping weapons into neighboring countries so it's not from a purely philosophical standpoint anymore because you have these huge governments who are violating so many rights but i just try to understand from a real world practical standpoint how we would react and understand why they're reacting the way they are and i think the best way to avoid that is to not make these stupid moves in the first place that push these countries to act the way they're acting now.
1: Yeah, Reid, you raise a very interesting question and an issue. I talk about this in my book, in my chapter on foreign policy, because I think there are different ways to view the situation. One way, the way you suggest, is we should view a country kind of like we view a person, right? Russia did this way back in the Cuban Missile Crisis. The United States responded by doing that. Uh, therefore when russia does this now when the united states we're it's the same actor if you will there's also a different way to look at this, which is the way I favor, uh, is to not pretend uh, that countries are actually people because they're not. Khrushchev did something during the Cuban Missile Crisis and John F. Kennedy did something in response. Putin is now doing something uh, in, the, in the Russia-Ukraine situation and Biden is doing something in response. I think we'd be well served to apply exactly the same rule number one to exact, to the people in question who are acting now I don't think it's right to treat countries, because if you go back far enough, every country has aggressed, right? In fact, every person has aggressed. If you pushed a kid in the back on the school playground, unjustifiably so, you've aggressed at one point. So everybody's aggressed. I think at some point what we should do is analyze what's going on right now. And I don't think it's irrelevant what's happened up to this point, right? For the United States, for George Bush to say, look, NATO's not gonna expand east, for Bill Clinton to say NATO's not gonna expand east, and then they did and now they have missiles uh, in places that are close to Russia's border. To me, that analysis still turns on rule number one. The question is, are those NATO missiles located in those countries near Russia, do they create a substantial risk of harm to Russia? If they do, then Russia's justified in acting. Same exact analysis when Khrushchev put missiles in Cuba if they created a substantial risk of harm to the United States, then JFK uh, was was justified in acting. And I think these are quite factual judgments underneath them. But I think what's most important is to get people's brains around rule number one. Yes. That's the rule that we're using to analyze the situations. And that's why I think Live and Let Live is putting this message out that push res- rule number one right out there in the front. Because whatever you're analyzing, we should first analyze rule number one. If it's being violated, then we are justified in taking action. And if it's not, then we're not justified in taking sort of military or force-type action. We might still once, once again, on Once it.
0: again, with the pragmatic concern that just because we're justified yes. in taking some sort of an action does not mean it's smart, right. does not mean it's not subject to debate based on the ramifications thereof. So, right. important thing. But I, I'm glad that you brought up the point that we need to distinguish the citizens from the people who are controlling the, the governments at the time, right? So important. I mean, no, nobody would say, even people who take a hardline stance about we shouldn't be in any way, shape, or form um, interfering with what's going on in Ukraine right now, any reasonable moral compass would point out to the fact that the individual Ukrainian citizens certainly have a right to defend themselves from aggression.
1: No question about that. And people here, like people anywhere, can defend a third party on their own if they choose. It's just that the official military of the United States, which is, I think, what you're saying, Reid, and I certainly agree with, unless the United States is threatened, they shouldn't act. But individual citizens are free to do whatever they want. We should have private militias if they want to hire, because there are little dictators all over the world. And if people want to spend money to go defend the people who the dictators are aggressing against. That is their business. In fact, stopping them from doing that would be violating rule number one. So I think what I'm getting at here is... We, it seems to me we're in complete agreement in terms of what we're saying as a philosophical matter how we're saying it is very different and this is why I think we're pushing the live and let live message because we're stripping it down to that principle right? that principle what we now call the live and let live legal principle it all keys on that and if we don't get that principle across in a way that people can understand having a discussion about anything else doesn't make sense there you. who knows what principles they're using and then separating it from our ethics, right? Even though the United States shouldn't go to war to defend the Ukraine, doesn't mean we can't take a moral position on it if we want. Say we don't like how Russia's acting and they're they're doing immoral things. We could say that if we want, but taking action using force is a different question. Legal issues and moral issues are different animals, and we got to see them as different animals.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you guys said, I don't think, but... It's important to realize the real world that we live in. And I do care about individuals in Ukraine and individuals in Russia and individuals in the United States. And I understand that under the current paradigm, and I know you guys agree about not going to war, but under the current paradigm, there are militaries and governments that have control over millions of people. And the way that we would realistically assist Ukrainian citizens in this situation is by going to war with Russia, and that would cause the deaths of more Ukrainian civilians, more United States civilians, and more Russian civilians. I I don't believe that the Russian government, the United States government, or the Ukrainian government are legitimate organizations. I think they use force, fraud, theft to control their people. But unfortunately, the way that we have to frame the conversation and the understanding of how the real world works is the way that, look, I don't want the government that I am forced to subsidize and forced to, you know, support militarily if they declare war. I don't want them to be involved in this at all. But 100% on, uh, on a philosophical level, on an intellectual level, we should be pushing to people the idea that this is putin Zelensky, and biden and trump and obama's war you know like this was not my choice i'm a citizen of the united states i wanted nothing to do with this i wanted nothing to do with the war in iraq i wanted nothing to do with basically any decision the government has made over the last 20 years we're not the government we don't control the government The government is a small group of power-hungry, psychotic pedophiles. It's not us.
1: Tell us (laughs) how you really feel. I certainly don't want to lump everybody together because, you know, there's good people and bad people in every organization. I don't don't want to overshoot the mark either. But I think a simpler way to say what I think you're trying to say is nobody should be forced to do anything. Nobody gets to violate rule number one. I don't care if you're a group, if you're a government, if you're a person. And so that's what we should be pushing as a philosophical idea. I don't care if you're wearing a badge or you have a fancy hat or a fancy title or you bring a clipboard with some official forms. If you are violating rule number one, you're in the wrong, period. That's the point we need to get across. We should strip it down from everything else. It doesn't mean we can't say anything about morality. We are. We're saying be a good human. I think that's a good rule. If you are if you say, Mark, I, I don't care about that. I'm interested in being a bad human. I'm a jerk. I, I don't care about open-mindedness or tolerance or kindness or any of those things, okay, you're not going to be one of my friends, but right. I defend your right to live that way, sure. just like I defend in the First Amendment realm your right to say offensive things I totally disagree with because it's the right to speak those things. It's the right the, to live. Or the
0: Nazi shop owner from not trading with Jews.
1: That's right. It's your right to live. Live as a jerk so long as you don't violate rule number one and that's what we got to lead with that's what we got to put out that's what we got to convince the people of the world about and so live and let live is an effort to boil it down it's it's lawyers getting together and say, what is it we need to convince the jury of? You know what we got to convince them of? Rule number one. Don't the, be an aggressor. Don't be an aggressor. That's what we, for everybody. Doesn't matter if you got a funny hat or a badge or anything like that. I hope you'll take a look at the liveandletlive.org website, because I already know you're a live and let liver. I knew you were as soon as you started opening your mouth.
0: Reed, yeah. let, me, let me ask you about this. I want to sure. get your take on this. We've been talking about a lot of complex issues in the realm of foreign policy, and, and it's tough to think clearly about. About these things a lot of the time because we're constantly propagandized to right? Yes. Everything like you heard Mark in his initial summary talk about that one of the big things we're proponents of is a dedication to truth and facts wherever they may lead. What role does disinformation and propaganda and things like that? I mean, you think about the the when when you started seeing when when the invasion happened of Ukraine, all of a sudden just bombarded with talking points from the media such that everybody feels like now they have a social cause to stand behind without analyzing any of these very, very complex issues that we've been talking about today. It's it's tough to think clearly for a lot of people. What role do you think that propaganda plays in all that?
2: Yeah, well, I think with almost every situation, you have an intentional narrative that you're supposed to follow, and then there's an intentional counter narrative. And the truth is usually somewhere in between, a little bit more complicated. And usually, the intentional counter narrative is ridiculous. It's just off the wall, crazy that no one will take seriously. A crazy theory.
0: conspiracy theory, for example.
2: Yeah, but what usually the uh, the controlled narrative is also bullshit. And so, if you have any criticism of the controlled narrative they put out there, they instantly try to put you in this category of insanity, right. so I think this has happened a lot with Epstein, you know, like there was the Pizzagate thing, there was QAnon, you know, kind of these crazy conspiracy theories about people drinking blood and eating children or whatever, but then you find out a lot of the Epstein story is actually true, there actually are these pedophile rings that exist, but if you start talking about it, you sound like one of these crazy people who believes in lizard monsters and pizza basements, you know, eating children alive or whatever, so I think with the disinformation... Um, the real battle is not necessarily believing what they tell you, but also not instantly becoming a, a contrarian and disagreeing with everything that comes out and going along with whatever crazy theory comes out. Cause I think oftentimes those are probably pushed by intelligence agencies to further discredit people who are critical of the official narrative they're putting out there. So I think it's a really complex issue. And I just look to people who have been right in the past. I mean, cause I don't know what's true. It's really hard to find out. Yeah, what's we're, true. we
0: say this all the time. We're lawyers. We don't know. For, for yeah. example, with uh, and to illustrate your point perfectly, which uh, what happened with um, COVID nineteen, yeah. right? The official narrative is this is really really dangerous. We got to put masks on our faces, shut shut down the economy, everybody stay inside, don't go to gyms, don't exercise, don't take care of your health. But instead, stay inside, mask up. You know, limit your social um, exposure. Whenever anybody questioned that, the extreme opposite of what you're talking about is ah, this is a, a pandemic, this is shut down intentionally, maybe even created by the government and-, and planned out ahead of time. If you even took umbrage with the official narrative, you were kind of thrown into, oh, okay, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. Oh, well, there's even
2: virus denier. Right. Which- <laughs> Those people do exist, but they're a fringe minority. Right. My boss was dying of COVID in the hospital. He had a chest tube put in. He was in there for three weeks, and I was on my podcast talking about how, you know, what? Not everybody needs to get vaccinated. Not everybody needs to get boosted. You know, I was a 27 year old dude in good health. I had like, I think it brought my chance of death from like a quarter percent down to a hundredth of a percent or something like that. So it was ridiculous for me to get all these jabs that I but, don't but need. You but said they you, throw me in the category of conspiracy virus nut, denier yeah. while my boss is literally dying. I mean, he ended up okay, but he was, you, he was in rough shape from COVID, and they're calling me a denier while he's in the hospital. I was he, like, guys. <laughs>
0: you said something really simple but poignant, which is, I listen to people who tend to be right on these things because I don't know what's true. Right. Mark and I say this all the time. We're, we're a couple of lawyers. We don't have medical degrees. We don't know. Like when people ask us about, you know, well, you know, what's the legality of this? What's the legality of that? The legality of these measures oftentimes depends on the science, right? Whether right. or not the virus is a substantial threat because you can only justify limitations of actions through law based on the need to do so, right? So Mark and I are constantly saying, like, ah. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) We we don't know.
1: We're lawyers. Two two points here. Number one, this is why open-mindedness is an important aspirational value because we don't all know everything. Most things we don't know, right? Let's just stay open-minded, whatever the truth, facts. This is why open-mindedness is important. You can, of course, reject that. But the second point is who decides is the issue. Who Who gets to make the question? Who decides whether you get the jab? Who decides whether you wear a mask? If it's your body, you decide. Now, if you're on my property, well, then I get to decide the rules. On my, on, I might say, look, you can't come unless you wear a mask. You can't come unless you're vaccinated. Maybe I say if you are vaccinated, you can't come. I can make any rule. If we had stuck with don't violate rule number one, this, the only thing we would have even been discussing is what should happen on public government property, which we have way too much of. Maybe we should have very little of that or none of that, and then the property owners make the decision over what happens. What we did at our law firm, we stayed open the whole time. We never had any policy about wearing a mask or vaccination, but if people wanted to be vaccinated or wear masks, they did, it was right. their decision. We had no problems at work. You know, freedom worked out just fine yeah. at our law firm throughout the entire COVID pandemic.
2: Yeah, so you know, we were talking about foreign policy earlier, and it's, like I said, it's really muddy trying to talk in a strictly philosophical sense because you already have these militaries and these huge governments. Uh, What I've done is I have moved to New Hampshire with the Free State Project. Ah, Because this is a local, smaller concept that I think can be more philosophically applied. You're not talking about millions of people. You're not talking about can you you talk about the free state yeah let's talk about what that is what's that all about yeah so i don't actually remember exactly what year they decided on time ago it was a while ago long time ago i was there right Um, at
1: the beginning you were okay yes
2: awesome so new hampshire its motto is live free or die it's already a very purple state um you know it's a state where this live and let live mentality already exists to some extent yeah yeah Yeah. but you know when we're talking about the united states it's a, it's, it's a pretty low yeah. bar, so you know we're doing pretty well in New Hampshire. Um, very uh, leave me alone, I'll do whatever I want. I'll, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting me. Uh, not a lot of people. There's a high amount of trust in society. There are a lot of farm stands where you can bring cash and drop money in a box and take eggs or corn or whatever with wow. you. Wow. So That's
0: a high level of trust right is. there. It is. And
2: you really need that in order yep. for a voluntary society to you work. Do. A lot of it comes down to trust. So, there's been this idea to try to get thousands of libertarians around the country to move to New Hampshire because, you know, we've seen throughout the last couple of years that most people want to violate rule number one, right? They just don't care. This whole idea that most people are libertarian, they don't know it yet, I think is just flat out false. Most people love to tell other people what to do or they love to be told what to do because those are comforting thoughts to be in charge or have someone else tell you what to do. Trying to you know, actually discuss with people you disagree and come to conclusions that you're not sure of is uncomfortable. People don't like doing that. But if we can get all these people who already think this way, who already want to be left alone, who already want to live in peace, to move to a place where that's already the culture, it's going to be much more successful than trying to overhaul the federal government of the United States. And it wasn't very successful until the last couple years, because a lot of people, were kind of complacent wherever they were living. It's like, well, this New Hampshire free state project thing sounds great, but I'm living in Illinois, so why move there? But then suddenly, you get, you're, you lose your job because of a lockdown, or you threaten, you're threatened to lose it through a vaccine mandate or something. So you're like, okay, I guess now's the time to move. And uh, I was born and raised in New Hampshire, and I moved out west a few years ago, but I just moved back uh because i've really realized this is the only place where i think we might see something like what you guys are describing in our lifetime on a large scale they're already are massive protests against libertarians in New Hampshire. Wow. The Democrats are putting together organized protests against the Free State Project. Where else in the country are they protesting libertarians? <laughs> Nowhere. I mean, they're just There's irrelevant. Your there. Yeah, exactly. Most
1: uh, importantly, does this make you a Patriots fan? I'm not a football guy. Uh, so. All right, well, I'm from Massachusetts. <laughs> okay. But anyways, I love the Free State Project. That You know, the idea is, hey, we got libertarians. We're spread out all over the country. Let's try to concentrate in one place, especially a place that has enshrined in the concept institution the right to secede new hampshire was a wise right, choice a revolution yeah too. there, there yeah. was an idea out west i think it was montana to do a second free state project it may have been wyoming it i don't wyoming. remember yeah. it was boston tea party a friend of mine who started that um, and and this is great and i'm a big fan but the reason we're doing live and let live because we need a global project because even if we completely took over new hampshire Okay, we're still subject to the federal government. Sure. There are still threats that emanate from all over. Look, if Putin, all the way over there in Russia, starts making noises about throwing nukes over here, we can't just bury the head in the sand and say we're well, wearing no. Hampshire. Or if somebody
0: in a laboratory in Wuhan accidentally lets a virus get out, that affects us here in Las Vegas, Nevada.
1: Yeah, and we have synthetic biology coming. So no matter what you think about corona... There are people in the world right now who, whose plan it is to engineer a really deadly, really communicable. A virus that could kill a lot of people—that's a threat to us. I don't care if it's happening sure. in Yemen or Afghanistan. We can't just focus on New Hampshire and say we're done. Sure. This is why we need a global movement, and this is what "Live and Let Live" is about. I'm not—certainly not against the Free State Project. I think it's a wonderful idea. I've spoken to that group. I held one of my events, the Freedom Summit, in New Hampshire one year. I brought Ron Paul there. We had a nice talk. By the way, I'd love to come speak to the Free Staters up there in New Hampshire That'd be great. and talk to them about. I'll live and let live. Because well, I, I we should also be agree
2: with you that this shouldn't just be about New Hampshire. Yeah. This should be a global thing. Yep. I just think that we need a shining beacon that is an example that this works. Yes. Because yep. we don't have an example that this works yet. In You're fact, right. The closest thing to an example of this working is the United States of America, and it's not working that well. So, because it got too big, it got expanded so quickly. I think that if we have a small project like New Hampshire, we can prove to people that this is a good idea. And like I said earlier when we were talking about foreign policy, instead of trying to force other countries into acting the way we want them to, we should be a beacon, an example. I think the same way with the other states in the country. If we can Prove that New Hampshire's ideas are going to work. It's so commendable. Maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe Vermont will be like, you know what? Maybe Bernie Sanders is kind of out to lunch. Maybe we should be listening to New Hampshire yeah. more. You know? We know
1: we're right on a moral basis, right? right? I can make the case. If you violate rule number one, you're acting wrong. Don't be an aggressor and leave it at that. But we can also make a good argument that, hey, by the way, if people acted like this, you know how much better life would be exactly. for everybody. There's a very strong argument there as well. So, anyways, uh, I think that I, I think at the end of all this, we're very well aligned on probably everything. I think how we were saying things was slightly
2: different. Well, isn't that weird when you come here and you find people that agree with you? Because I'm not used to that. And it is you know? a little weird
1: because we had Judge Gray here and he said five of the 12 people on the jury on drug legalization were against legalizing marijuana. Yeah, just to
0: contextualize is- that for people who don't know, there was a, a debate here held yesterday where they did kind of a mock trial and they picked a jury. I'm not sure how they picked the jury, but I assume it was people chosen at random, uh, participants from Freedom Fest. And they were seriously debating the drug war at Freedom Fest, whether whether competent adults own their own bodies and can put what they want in their own bodies at Freedom Fest, and huh? I'm, disgraceful. Really? These are people who Shameful. don't understand
1: rule number one. This is why we gotta talk to them about, forget all this other stuff. Let's talk about rule number one. Are you aggressing against, it's not about is marijuana good for you or bad for right. you. It's not about does it treat medical conditions. I don't care if it's terrible for you and it treats nothing. You get to decide if you're a competent adult, you get to decide what goes in your body, regardless of what that substance is. Period.
0: I'm happy we agreed on so much, but I think I want to push back just a little bit on something that you said. I always tell people that Mark and I agree on 99% of things, but our best conversations are about the 1% of stuff we disagree on. So this might just be, we might just be using different ways to describe this, but you said something to the extent of that you reject the notion that the average person is kind of inherently libertarian, that we take comfort from bossing other people around and being right and things like that. I think I disagree with that to an extent. Um, I think that everybody is kind of naturally, inherently live and let live in the sense that how most people with a decent moral compass behave on an individual-to-individual basis on their day-to-day life. We don't go around aggressing. We don't go around stealing, coercing, uh, perpetuating fraud on people. The vast majority of people don't on an individual basis, but where we lose people, is when we then apply the same standards to groups, right? You're you're correct that people are like, yeah, I mean, I would never use force or coercion or anything to people I meet on the street. But, you know, when we get enough people together, call the government and everything like that, well, then it's okay. And in fact, I think you guys should have to do what I think is important. What do you think of that? And why do we lose people on that level?
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe if we were to start over, you'd be correct if there weren't already the culture that we have, already the government that we have. But I think that... Given the society we live in, comfort is what people desire more than anything else. Most people, which is really unfortunate. I'm not that type of person. I've always lived an uncomfortable lifestyle. I've traveled a lot. I've saved my money instead of spending it on riches so that I could take extended periods of time off and go do different things, meet different people. I've always asked questions that are deeply troubling to try to find out the truth. In my anecdotal experience that is not how most people act. They want the secure job, they want the you know the comforting thoughts whether or not they're true. They want the you know the cushy couch and the nice meal every night. They don't want to sleep in the back of a truck on the road. You know, they don't want to go do the 20-mile hike even if the view at the top is spectacular. Most people I know don't want to do this. But that
1: doesn't make them aggressors, right? No,
2: no, no. But I'm just saying that comfort is their number one goal. And I think most people, if they have someone telling them this is the way things are going to be, if you just do this, it'll work out fine, they're very susceptible to that message. And that I'm okay with leads... people
0: having comfort. I'm just not okay with people being aggressive. Right. But what
2: I'm saying is I think the desire for comfort leads to the desire for people to tell them what to do and tell them everything will be fine if you do this. So if you have someone telling people that, you know, we're not fighting the war in Iraq for a good reason or something, that's an uncomfortable thought. It's like, what are you talking about? Like my president said there are weapons of mass destruction, we need to go take out the bad guys and everything will be fine. And someone's like, no, that's not what's going on. Or if the coronavirus comes out of nowhere and someone's saying, you know, this was made in a lab and this was intentional. That's not a comforting thought. That's like, what are you talking about? My government wouldn't want to do that. My government cares about me. So, these... Well, I'm also
0: okay with people yearning to be told what to do, to well, yearning to be sheep. I mean, right. my, my, my uh, but... doctor tells me what to do when it comes to my health. Like, I, right. I totally understand that. All I care about is whether or not people are aggressing. And right. I think I'm on just... an individual-to-individual basis,
2: people aren't inherently aggressors. Right. I just think that because of their desire for comfort, instead of knowing what's really going on, they're very susceptible to tyrants because tyrants are more comforting. That's true. Tyrants tell you... You know, they don't. They never tell you anything's your fault. They tell you everything is this group of people's fault, and we're gonna get rid of them. the other. Yeah, and so people are very susceptible to authoritarianism because. They desire what makes them feel good about themselves. Well, let's so.
1: educate them. I'm for authoritarianism. I want to be the iron fisted dictator of me, and I think you should be the iron fisted dictator I like of you. it. hell yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right, everybody, we've been talking to Reed Coverdale. He is the host of the Naturalist Capitalist Podcast. Tell them where they can find your podcast and plug whatever you want to plug.
2: Yeah, I'm banned off of Twitter, so you're not gonna <laughs> find me there. I've been banned. Hey, twice. you're in good company, man. Yeah. <laughs> there's lots of there's lots of great thinkers
0: and some less. So that have been banned from twitter but yeah, hopefully
2: I, that doesn't stop you from getting out there where can they find you i'm somehow still on youtube so you can find me on youtube but please go follow me on odyssey because that's where uh, I'm likely to not ever get removed from because Odyssey is a great free speech platform where you can actually say whatever you want. Uh, I'm also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the typical audio feeds. Uh, and I'm on all the alternative platforms, even though no one uses them. So like Gab, Float, Getter. I am on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram. Uh, just Look up Naturalist Capitalist or Reed Coverdale. I'm the only one of both in the world that I know of, so you'll find me. (laughs) Link's in the description, folks.
0: All right, Reed, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, brother.
2: Hey, guys, thanks. I really enjoyed the conversation. Awesome.
0: Until next time, go check out liveandletlive.org. This attorney Andy Markentel and and attorney Mark J. Victor. We're the Peace Radicals. Peace. Peace.